listening to Filling the Storehouse podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. What up, Storehouse family? Hey, it's no secret that podcasts are big right now. In fact, they're one of the fastest, most powerful ways brands are building authority and making passive income. But here's what they don't tell you. The problem is that most people do one of two things when they're trying to start a podcast. Either start one with no plan and then they get overwhelmed and give up. Trust me, it's hard. Or they successfully start a podcast but cannot scale efficiently and affordably, which leads to burnout, monetization issues, and no growth. Ladies and gentlemen, there's another better way to not only grow your podcast, book highly influential guests, save hundreds of hours of time, but also build multiple revenue streams of passive income. After booking the top influencers in the space on their podcast, Millennial Millionaire Real Estate Podcast, and earning over $7,000 a month in sponsorships, my friend Jonathan Farber and Claire Rosenberg knew they had a system that would actually work for others. That's why they created the Podcast Systems University. This course gives entrepreneurs and real estate investors everything they need to launch, grow, and scale a profitable podcast in the most efficient, systematized, and cost-effective way possible so that you can only focus your time on what actually matters. They've recorded over 200 episodes with the top influencers in their space, documented the entire process from end to end, and developed a proven system that will grow your brand, save you time, and will position yourself as a must-be-on show without the risk of dumping a ton of money into it. These strategies they've used to grow their podcast to over 27,000 downloads in one year and gain multiple sponsorships. Guys and gals, I've taken this course. I learned a ton and it helped us tremendously uh, to build our podcast. So avoid the burnout, skip the mistakes, save your time and launch your podcast a proven way. Enroll in Podcast Systems University and um, use my link in the show notes for a, a discount. Uh, use coupon code STU20, and you can get this course for only $297. It's regularly $497, and it is so worth it, I promise you. All right, go fill your storehouse, make it a great day. See ya. We are recording, and uh, let's do this. You guys ready? You ready, ready to rock? Heck yep, yes, Stuart. All right, cool. Well, hey, this is uh, Filling the Storehouse podcast, and um, we have a pretty awesome guest on today, Carl Jensen. Um, we're going to talk all things uh, investments, fire community, real estate, everything. Um, and uh, he is a fellow Coloradan, so we can uh, talk about that a little bit too. So, uh, Coloradan, Coloradian, Coloradan, Coloradan, Coloradian. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. That Stuart. one, I think it's that one. Carl, how do you say it? I God, I now I don't want to answer because you guys are going to make fun of me, which would be perfectly fine. Uh, we're all transplants, right? Are any of you natives, or are either of you natives? Or uh, nope. I'm like half native. Does that count? My dad and that side of the family is from here, but I did not grow up here. Yeah, kind of. I'll give you some points for that. No I one you so. meet in Colorado is actually a native. They've got that bumper sticker with the native thing on there. But yeah, I guess back to your question, I would probably say. Colorado, but uh, I, I don't probably, know. That's probably these are the important sense. things that we discussed on this podcast, Carl. <laughs> these, are, these are what the people want. Let's get to the bottom of it. We'll get lots of angry hate mail from natives. From the natives. So, Carl, uh, where are you? Where are you from? Where did you kind of um, grow up? And, and just if you could tell our audience a little bit about who you are and and, and uh, what you do. Yeah, I grew up outside of Chicago, a northwest suburb. Uh, we lived in Wisconsin for about six years. Uh, then we came to our senses. Not that Wisconsin and Chicago aren't great places, but <laughs> you don't see the sun for like eight months during the winter. That's how much yeah. winter lasts there. You feel kind of suicidal towards the end of it. You think the sun has gone out. So we came to our senses and moved to Colorado way back in 2012. Uh, we've been here ever since. Never looked back and loving life. So the sun, it's a beautiful day right now, actually, looking outside. Yeah, I was going to ask you from uh, the Midwest when we started talking. I was like, oh, man, this sounds very, very Midwesty to me. So, oh, man, so, I, I, I try to 
not talk with my accent, but uh, see, it, it just came out. across there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially with new people, I get a little bit nervous and then it just all comes back. So, I <laughs> well, my wife is from Wisconsin. We, we run our business out of Wisconsin. Uh, we, we, we are big fans of the Midwest and Wisconsin. So, yeah, uh, and they have much like Colorado, amazing beer in Wisconsin. That's one thing that, uh, you know, New Glarus in particular is something that we miss quite a bit. So. Oh, that place is great. Yeah. New Glarus. And, uh, I miss the beer and the cheese curds. The cheese curds were pretty epic out there. It's probably better for my cardiovascular system that I don't live there anymore. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing a, a little bit about yourself. You're obviously very humble and, and I would direct people to, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into this later, you know, some of your blogs, some of your, your um, upcoming podcast, your website. Uh, Cause I, I'll tell you, I was fascinated. I was on your website, just kind of reading about, you know, what I was distilling out and as your why and, and kind of what, what makes you tick. And, and I was, uh, I was extremely impressed and you obviously put a lot of diligence, a lot of time into uh, creating this vision and then turning that vision into action. And then that action is now, you know, has uh, propelled you uh, to levels that I think uh, when I was looking at it four times, about four times, what your desired end state was when you started the, the journey. Um, so just kind of curious if you could walk us through just, just what all that means, the, you know, your retire early and, and the, the passion that you had to, to really grab life. And, and, uh, and I think you said before your worm food in about 80 years, you wanted to achieve some things. So <laughs> uh, just talk us through some of that. Yeah. So I wish I could have a, a better story. I will tell you my story, but some of these people you come from, uh, you hear about financial independence and when they were 18, they read a blog, they got some side hustles going when they were 22, they retired and boom, now they're in Southeast Asia or, or whatever these people do. But my story is a little bit different. When I was a kid, um, I could tell my parents weren't very good with money. My, uh, my dad was a construction worker. And during the summer, he would have tons of jobs, all this money would be coming in, we'd be going out to eat, life was great. And then fall would come around and he'd get laid off. And we'd have this sad conversation around the dinner table we'd have this little family meeting where my mom would be like kids we have to talk and like your dad got laid off again he probably won't be working for a while we're gonna have to buckle down so and this would happen every year so after a couple of years of this I'm like well why why aren't they maybe saving a little bit more money when he is working and but anyway I was probably 12 or 13 and this conversation rolled around again my mom's like hey you we want you to come down we need to have a family meeting and I'm like yeah I've been through this I know what's going to happen but <laughs> but this time they seemed a little bit sadder I'm like well what's going on like this happens every year like we're not going to lose the house or anything like that are we and my mom's like well we're probably not going to lose the house and I'm like whoa <laughs> like probably implies that there's a chance that we will in fact lose the house this is a uh, I think I was 12 or 13. This is pretty terrifying. Holy crap. So this instilled in me a, a deep uh, sense of financial insecurity. So the first thing I probably thought of back then was I need to go to college. No one in my family had ever gone to university. Like I need to find some way to earn a good amount of money. And that's what college was to me. It wasn't uh, to go party or anything like that. It was to go get a major in something good. Uh, and I was considering the military actually too, which is a whole other story, but I needed to get some form of higher education and then I needed to save my money. So as soon as I got out of college, I just started shoveling money away. And like I said, it wasn't coming from any good place. It was coming from this insecurity that I had as a result of my childhood. Uh, so uh, fast forward a couple of years, I get to be 37 and my job was great. I was a software developer, but it was pretty stressful. So and I, and the stress was really getting to me at that point. I thought it was going to kill me, actually. Uh, there was one point where I thought the software had a bug. I thought it was my fault. I thought I was going to get fired or potentially even kill someone. It was a medical device. Yeah. It turned out none of that happened, but it caused me to hit up the internet and Google something like, how do I retire early? And up came these blogs. I remember the two that came up were Get Rich Slowly, which is J.D. Roth. And the other one was uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And so I started reading the Mr. Money Mustache one. And the first thing I thought was, geez, this is a, I've stumbled upon some kind of scam. Like no one retires when they're 31. Like this guy, this is just <laughs> nonsense. I had never known anyone in my family to stop working before like 65 or 70. One person even died on the job. And then I started reading it a little bit more. I'm like, oh, well, this is just a math problem. You save up a certain amount of money 
And then when you can cover your expenses 25 times, the 4% rule, uh, you can pretty much stop working. And so that's what I did. I discovered that I already had savings because of that financial insecurity. My, excuse me, my goal was a million dollars to retire on. It turned out that wouldn't have been enough, but the markets have done really well and it was enough. Plus I have what I call wife fi or spouse fi. At the same time I quit, my wife, Mindy actually uh, unexpectedly went back to work. So I have that going for me now. So life is life is good. That's uh, my story in five minutes or however long. Yeah. So for for those that don't know, Carl's uh, additional ex- significant other is Mindy Jensen, and most of our listeners probably know of Mindy uh, from Bigger Pockets. Um, and uh, you know, she's she's has her own podcast. She's written some books, and she does a bunch of real estate stuff too. So, um, Stu, uh, you were on the show on on her show, weren't you? Yeah, I was early on. I actually got to go into the studio in Bigger Pockets. I think it was it was in the early 30s, like 30, 32, 33, something like that. Um, yeah. was, Have you been invited back? Or? I haven't been invited back, no. So, oh. so oh. Carl, if you want to put a good word into for me, that, that'd be great. Was that the Bigger Pockets money show or was yeah. that the, the real estate show? Okay. Yeah, the money one. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so, you know, back to kind of your story of, getting into this movement, you know, you sounds like you started with reading Mr. Money Mustache stuff. And so where did you kind of go from there? Like what was, what were kind of like the first moves that you made to kind of get, get going on this thing? Yeah. Well, the first move was actually a physical move. We had this big house. It was like, uh, it was almost 5,000 square feet. It was pretty silly because the thing had like four bedrooms, four bathrooms, and it had a basement. I was getting ready to finish it off, put another bedroom and bathroom in there. So since there's four people in our family, each human would have had 1.25 toilets, which is uh, <laughs> you know, the ultimate first world problem. Yeah, absolutely uh, necessity, right? Yeah. So we sold this house and we bought one for less than half that much. It was a two bedroom, one bathroom foreclosure that was infested with rodents and ants. Uh, luckily, our children were too young to appreciate it. If we tried to pull a move like that now, they'd probably, uh, <laughs> they would mutiny against me and go find a foster home or something like that. But back then they didn't know any better. So it was acceptable. We quickly fixed up that house. So that was a big major move. We also started keeping track of our spending. I never really kept track of where the money was going. And that was eye-opening because probably similar to most people, I I had downplayed it in my head, like, yeah, I'm probably spending like 30 or 40,000 a year on most of our expenses. And it turned out to be a lot more than that. And it's kind of surprised us some of the silly little things add up like going out to eat and if you drink fancy beer that can quickly uh put a little dent in your budget yeah that that i can envision that one putting a little dent in my, i don't know if i want to count to that level of detail because uh, i'll be afraid of what i discover it, it is scary and it does kind of shock you it's like whoa what's going on here you need to make a little course correction uh travel too that you know, that was a lot of money and, and, and I also want to, I guess, a couple points of clarification. Um, and, and just to go back, because I don't want, I can't let this point go, Stu. Uh, one of my favorite stories is that you got kicked off of Bigger Pockets and had to reach out to Mindy. Uh, but that's a separate thing. That was one of my favorite things ever. Um, but that aside, I think the, um, you, you kind of paint an austere picture, right? You had this beautiful big house, which most Americans, they think that that's their dream, right? That's you've made it when you have this 1.25 bathrooms per person in the house. And then, and you went down to a two bedroom roach infested, ant infested house and cut all your expenses and your life sucked. Is, is that how it was? Or can you kind of talk <laughs> us through like, like what, and no more fancy beer, right? So like, you know, that all these things are, are terrible things, but, but I know that's not the, I know that's not true. And, and it kind of, kind of help us understand the full picture of what that, that looks like. Like what, like what's the why, like, why do you do that? And what's the ultimate results of that? And, and kind of the, the, the uh, strategies that you employed. Yeah. Well, I guess our life, uh, I was unhappy in that big house. We lived in a neighborhood that didn't really have values that aligned with us. For example, our cars are from 2003 and 2010 and I'm a car guy. I love cars. I could talk your, your face off about cars, but they're unnecessary. They're kind of a silly expense to me. And I have had a fancy car, so you can call me out on that too. But the thing was, we we lived in this nice neighborhood, really nice neighborhood. And all the high school kids had fancy cars. I remember there was these twins that lived across the street for their 16th birthday. They got 
brand new matching Camaros, the new Camaro. And then a couple of weeks later, one of them hit a tree. He was fine. And then the parents run out and buy him another one to replace it. Oh. And I think we did. It was kind of uncomfortable. I never felt like we fit in. And maybe I read too much into it, but I kind of felt like we were being judged a little. We didn't have community. We didn't have the, the friends that we wanted or needed. So when we moved to this other neighborhood, it was uh, in Longmont, the home of Mr. Money Mustache. Actually, there was kind of a built-in community here. So despite moving to this uh, much lesser of a house we were actually happier we had a street with a lot of kids the same age as ours so they would just go out there it was a dead end street they could ride bikes all day and people with similar values and i thought if there was any unhappiness from moving to the big house it was more than made up for and the happiness that we had living in this new community with people who had uh, values more aligned with ours and there's so much there that i could that, that i'd love to dig into I and mean, we could probably just on this little section, we could probably spend the next 45 minutes. Uh, one thing that, that I really want to hit on that I, that I absolutely love is just, just this idea of happiness and, and the values uh, be, be, beyond that, behind that, you know, idea of happiness. Um, you know, to you, what is happiness, Carl? I mean, because uh, I know a lot of people have different thoughts and opinions on it. Yeah. And my air compressor just went off. I forgot to turn that off. Can you hear it? No, you're good, man. Uh, okay. I'm sorry about that. If you can. Uh, yeah. Happiness is an interesting thing. And it's kind of the most important consideration of all this because we've had the fancy house. I also bought, I mentioned I was a car guy. My, my dream car was always this Japanese sports car called an Acura NSX. And well, let's go on a sidetrack about the Acura NSX. I bought this thing. It was $45,000. Kind of weird buying a 25 year old car that costs $45,000. That's a Honda. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of fun driving it for a, a little while, but then it just became another thing to worry about a shiny thing that you had to worry about someone hitting it in a parking lot. And I found the most fun thing with the NSX was there was a local NSX owners club where you'd all meet up and talk with other NSX owners. But one day I'm sitting at this thing, having a great time talking to these other people. And I thought, how ironic is this? The best part of owning this car is when the car is out there in the parking lot. Yeah. I'm just happen to be talking to other people with a similar interest. I, I found that's the case for a lot of things in life. Like uh, some of the projects I'm working on here, I own a co-working space. So interacting with the co-owners and the, and the people who come there to work, uh, we're thinking about opening up a brewery. And that's another thing I would do with friends, not really to make money. It has to make money, but that's not the core purpose. The core purpose of it is to collaborate on a fun project with friends. And that's why Stuart, what you mentioned, you might come out, come up here to work on those veterans homes. I'd like to, uh, I'd love to do that. Not because I like swinging a hammer all day, although I kind of like that. It'd be fun meeting some people like you and other people with, with common interests who want to do some good in the world. How awesome is that? Yeah. So yeah, happiness is a tr tricky thing to wrap your mind around, but I think the most important part of it for me at least is surrounding yourself with people who you really care about and people who you can depend on and, uh, and call true friends, that type of thing. And, and, and family too, although modern life is kind of weird and that we tend to be separated from our families, which is different than how I grew up, but that's a whole other topic. So yeah, I think people having a good, strong community, uh, having friends who have kids with your kids to ride around with, ride bikes with and, all that kind of stuff, sit in the backyard, have a beer, although maybe a not super pricey one and just enjoy a campfire and have a good conversation. You know, I, excuse me. I think that's really important because, you know, my wife and I, we were driving to DC to hang out with uh, a, a dear friend of, of ours, somebody I grew up with and, and to celebrate, you know, my son's eighth birthday. And, and as we were driving, we were talking about these things that would make us happy. And specifically, we were talking about the house that we bought in Colorado, um, you know, years ago and the potential to, you know, stay there forever, pay this thing off. Cause I think our mortgage is like, you know, in the, in the two hundreds now in the house, if we wanted to, we could sell it and, um, you know, probably do pretty well today and then go buy a bigger house if we wanted to and maximize that mortgage and get into something different that would be different than we've got now. And, and, you know, we started talking, and that's not, not really our style, but we started talking about the, all the opportunities that, that we could do, the, the things we want to do, um, keep that house paid off. And then what, what, what do we want to do? And, and, and a lot of the things were all about, you know, the travel and the fellowship and hanging out and, and, 
and being with people. And, and I think what's important is we're having all these conversations now. It's not a reality right now. I'm still in the Navy, still be in the Navy for another year, 18 months. Right. But, but being very intentional about that vision, I think is so important. And, and I think it also helps you to frame those future decisions. Uh, the house we live in now, well below what we could potentially afford, but it's across from a park where we go have beers with uh, parents every Friday night and there's kids everywhere. We spend about eight hours a day at these things. Right. And that's what brings us, what brings us joy. Our house yeah. will not be in a magazine and nothing that you'd ever necessarily uh, um, look at. But I think it's important and you hit a really important point because it, it seems to me like you did a lot of this stuff, the soul searching and what would bring happiness before you started pulling the trigger and, and you, uh, did you have like a vision? Did you have something that you planned out? Did you like, how did you and Mindy, go about like setting that framework? Yeah, for me, it was mostly a, uh, and part of this is because of the reason I had decided to pursue this in the first place. I was running away from something. So the number one thing I thought about was I need to get to a million dollars and no debt just so I can have that 4% rule, the $40,000 a year to live in, to live on. But the weird thing in retrospect is I hadn't considered what happens after that. And as it got closer to it, it kind of terrified because you would ask about happiness. The other key thing, and I think maybe even more important than the community is everyone needs some kind of meaning and purpose in their life. And a lot of times we get that through work. And when I say work, it's not the same thing as your 40 an hour, 40 hour a week, nine to five job. It could be something completely different. For me, it happens to be finishing off my basement at the moment and some other random projects I'm working on. But yeah, as far as planning, I probably planned very poorly because aside from the money part, I didn't plan at all. So when it actually came time to quit, when I actually had the amount of money and knew I could leave, I, uh, <laughs> I didn't want to because I was terrified about not having the meaning in my life because no matter how stressful and how much I disliked my job at times, I worked with good people. The work was meaningful. It gave me a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day, most days. So yeah, I would not recommend the way I did it to anyone. I would say, try to build your life ahead of time. Don't validate yourself through your job. Try to build up a meaningful life outside your job. So if you ever decide to ditch your job or it could work the other way around, your job could decide to ditch you that you've got, you're not just devastated by that. So yeah, as far as planning, I was a poor planner. Well, that, that equates tremendously to to a military career um you know there's uh you know there's guys like us they're going to go 20 years in the military or or further in the military and our you know our purpose our our mission uh is oftentimes just about you know our military job and we we have seen it in our careers uh with with friends with with people that that work with us or for us that when that time comes up, if you're at that 20 year mark, you've had this purpose for 20 years to serve the military. And then afterwards, like that all goes away. Yeah. And you don't have that purpose anymore. You don't have that mission that you wake up to and you go to work every single day. And that hits hard really quickly with, with quite a few people. And um, you know, this, this thing called veteran suicide is, is real and it happens a lot. Um, and it's, it's something that, that we, we support tremendously um, you know, homelessness that we're going to talk, we talked about you know, up at the veteran community project, a lot of people go homeless because they don't have a mission or a purpose anymore. And they don't know what to do with their lives. And so, you know, I think, I think just this point of, of, you know, community, um, finding a purpose and a mission uh, is really, really important. And um, one thing that kind of bugs me about, uh, you know, this, this so-called fire movement, you know, the, the financial independence retire early, uh, depending on who it is and, um, you know, the blog or the, the podcast or whatever it is, sometimes often like, you know, whoever's talking comes across as like, hey, the whole goal is to like retire early so you can go just sit on a beach and drink Mai Tais and, you know, do nothing with your life, right? And that like really urges me the, the, like the wrong way. Like, I'm like, I don't want to go just sit on a beach and like sit Mai Tais and do nothing. I mean, maybe for a couple of days or a week or something like that. Sure. But like for the rest of my life, like no way. And I think like some, sometimes like it gets mixed up in that, in that whole, like, you know, fire community. So uh, I guess where does, where does uh, money and being financially independent 
kind of mix into having a purpose and a mission um, and community and having a tribe? Like, how, how do you fit all that together to, to do well? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I want to back up a second. That kind of thing annoys me too. You see these articles on some financial websites, like meet the couples hiking through wherever and it's a beautiful 25 year olds in their camper van or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you know, that might be okay for a little bit, but yeah, you have to have meaning in life. So I, I think if you do it right, well, first of all, I think the FI part of fire is more important than the retire early part. Cause yeah. even if you think all that stuff is nonsense, the early retirement, there's a whole ton of value in getting your money straight. So, and the reason is both sides of the equation. You could discover some passion or some new job you want to do, which is great. Or you could have something terrible happen. Last summer, my dad died after a prolonged illness and he doesn't live anywhere near me. But because I had the financial independence thing going on, I could go out to visit him at a moment's notice, which I did like three separate times. So it's insurance against the, the screwballs that life could throw at you, the curveballs that life could throw at you. But the thing about meaning and purpose is financial independence actually allows you to pursue that uh, more strongly. I had, I, I had someone come on, I actually spoke to CU students earlier this morning and one of them was like, yeah, I really want to give back. And if I'm not working, I'm not going to have the money to do that. I'm like, well, you're not going to have the money, but all of a sudden you're going to have 40 hours a week. You could give back in tremendous ways with that time. I mean, that's huge. Plus, if you do it right, you'll probably end up with more money than you think you would anyway. What people don't understand is a lot of people follow the 4% rule and that's a worst case scenario. In most cases, you end up with a lot more money than you planned for. That's certainly the case with me. I'm very thankful for that. But that financial independence kid, a lot of times, so I'll back up a second. If you find meaning and you love your job enough that you would work for that for free, that's great. You shouldn't quit. You should stay there. But I think that most of us, if we're lucky enough to figure out what our true calling is, what really makes us happy and what really gives us meaning and purpose in life, it's probably not going to be the same thing as that 40 hour a week job. And by liberating yourself of it, you can pursue whatever that happens to be. So I, I think financial independence fits perfectly with meaning and finding purpose in life. It's going to be a little bit harder because no one's going to tell you what to do. Like, oh, here's your computer job, code this for the next year or whatever. You're going to have to figure that out yourself. Yeah. But there's a lot of value in that too, uh, through the introspection. And you learn a lot about yourself once you're financially independent and don't have a job because you've got a lot of time to sit around and think and figure things out. So definitely a lot of value. And it's okay if you don't have it figured out from the get-go either. So. No, I think that's great advice. I think, you know, I'd, I'd encourage folks to go back and listen to that. Just there's a, there's a lot of depth in, in, uh, um, that, that purpose. And, and I'll tell you, you know, if you're, if you're doing what you love, you don't work a day in your life. Right. I mean, of course there's gonna be tough times and, and, and whatnot, but, but, uh, I think if you're doing what you're created to do, uh, man, what a, what an awesome state that is. I, I'm kind of curious on some of the nuts and bolts. Like what, what are, like, what are you doing? Like, how'd you get to that? How'd you get to where you are? And, and I would encourage people to look at your website too, because you, you have a, a nice breakdown of, of, of the financials, but, but I'm just kind of curious, like, I'm pretty fascinated on, obviously you guys do the real estate thing, but give us some insight into how you achieved, uh, you know, how you achieved this goal. Yeah, I guess there's two basic halves to this. And I'll start with the first one because it's accessible to most people. And that one is just to max out the tax efficient accounts that are available to you. So if you're a public employee, you probably have access to a, a 401k or a Roth 401k. If you're a government employee, you have access to a thrift savings plan. Is that the same for the military yeah, as well? Exactly. And the TSP right. through the government is really, really good. They've got low cost funds. So, so it's, it's excellent. If you are a government employee or in the military, uh, max out that TSP, you're silly not to, because regardless of which side you're on, you're probably getting some kind of match. And if you're not contributing at least enough to get the match, you're leaving money on the table. So that was half of it. We maxed those out whenever we could. And the other half, I'm looking around right now because uh, I don't consider myself a homeowner. I call myself a very long-term flipper because we buy these crusty old houses and fix them up and sell them for a profit. Uh, the beautiful thing about that is if you own the house for two of the past five years and live in it for two of the past five years, you pay zero capital gains. So some of these houses we've made, our last one we made, let's see, we bought it for 
175, put 125 into it and sold it for 600. So we made $300,000 from it. And all that's completely tax free. We don't owe a dime, a dime in income tax. We would have had to have made over 200,000 more for us to own anything in taxes, no capital gains whatsoever. This one that we're working on now, barring some, uh, some bad world uh, things going on or the economy taking a dive in the next couple of years is gonna make us even more money than that. So what we do is we buy the worst house in the best neighborhood we could find. And then we spend the next X amount of years fixing it up. And uh, we weren't actually going to do another one after the previous one, but this one was too good of a deal to pass up. So we jumped in and here I am hanging doors and uh, swinging the hammer again. That's awesome. Did you do, do you do most of the work yourself or do you hire it out? I do. I don't know if you've tried to hire anyone in Colorado, but it's very, very painful. It's a good thing, right? Because the economy is really good and all these yeah. people have tons of work, but to try to hire anyone. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. I had to dig out an egress window for my basement and I didn't even bother to get a quote because actually my friend who writes for the military dollar got a quote for an egress window and she they wanted $12,000 for it. <laughs> I paid, I dug it out myself. I jumped in the hole with a shovel and put in the uh, window and the, the other, the metal thing that goes around and it was 1200 bucks total. So <laughs> you can do this successfully with hiring out, but it's going to be much more difficult. Yeah. And again, if I did it, that's kind of the weird paradox about fire. If I had a normal job, I wouldn't be able to do this, but this side job, this side hobby of fixing up this house is going to make me more money than my normal job ever did. And I do it on my own terms, whenever I want to, uh, whatever time of the season I want to. I'm about to stop right now for the summer. So I'd much rather do this and have to go sit behind a desk for 40 hours a week. Yeah. So how, how do you get your kids to like be on board with this? Like how, how do they live just living like shambles for two years? <laughs> yeah, I, I was thinking about that. The truth is they don't know any better because when we <laughs> bought that last one, they were young and uh and that, well, this house had a pool, which is weird in Colorado. And that's one of the reasons we got it for so, so cheap, but that was incentive for them to move to this. But we also, what we did for them is we made their bedrooms really nice. Like first thing, bought them new beds to kind of make them happy and appease them. And we get them involved in the process too. So they have ownership in it. And nice. like my younger kid with my supervision knows how to work a nail gun. We even awesome. have little Hello Kitty uh, ear protection for. Her. So yeah, you try to get them involved. But with that said, it does suck. This isn't a, uh, it does suck. Sometimes you're when you're doing a bunch of drywall work and uh, Mindy's got a, a basket full of laundry that she just did. And then there's a coating of drywall dust on there. And yeah. No one's happy. No one's happy after something like that happens. So, or I almost cut my finger off with a grinder, which almost happened too, but they're all still here. So it's That's good. good. Looked like good. that one was a lot shorter. Is that just a quick <laughs> unit? Not yet. It was a close call, though. That was actually me doing the brakes on my car. But, uh, wow. Well, that's crazy. And I think, you know, is that more importantly than uh, I mean, kids are adaptable, right? We, you know, with, with us, us being military folks, I mean, I, I know my oldest daughter, her first five years of life were five different duty stations. And she knew no better than to travel throughout Europe and in a in a backpack and, you know, go to these crazy places that that you know people dream to go visit so i think they, they're very adaptable but you know i'd be curious and there's probably no real way to quantify this but they are literally getting life lessons right now on how to be financially independent they're, they're, you're giving them it's like the best classroom ever on how to have a business run a business make money and and to turn something old and worn into something beautiful and and you don't have to buy a brand new house with a custom builder and a you know, like I think the lessons and I'm just kind of curious, are you guys very intentional about some of these lessons or, um, you know, because I imagine they're getting an education of a lifetime. Yeah, we try to be. Kids are interesting and uh, they're both close in age. They are 13 and 11, but they're two completely different children. But I think they get it and we see things rubbing off on them. For example, we're not we're not opposed to going to the thrift store. So especially our, our older one, she loves going to the thrift store on half price day and looking for That's new cool sweaters now. and and jeans. So and I like that type of thing too. Not underwear and socks. I got to draw the line somewhere, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you never know what's going to rub off and, and what doesn't. So I think they appreciate it. I think they know we live unconventionally, but uh, like, for example, when I would pick them up from school, I'm one of the only 
males there because that's kind of how our society is structured. If one person works, it's usually the male. So it'd be mostly the, the wives picking the kids up. So they definitely see we're different, but I think it's an ongoing experiment. Our, our younger one is uh, a lot different. And I like to believe that this rubs off on them and I, I get them involved in everything. Like uh, we never buy them anything if they want a toy, they have to earn that money themselves. Uh, we buy them what they need and then anything on top of that, they'll earn the money for. Our, our older one came home from school a month ago. She's like, yeah, we're going on a, on a trip to Switzerland. <laughs> like, whoa it's the most expensive country in the world how much does that cost like yeah like four thousand dollars i'm like okay what are you going to do for work (laughs) you better figure something out to do it in the next year but i think it's good my parents always made me work for stuff and man if your parents don't buy you a car you no matter how much of a piece of junk it is you appreciate that thing because you work many many hours to earn that so there's a lot of value in that and i i do hope they see my work in this house and appreciate that and know what we did for them I'm, I'm very open with them about money too and i don't think they've kind of wrapped their heads around that i hope they don't assume everyone is like us because we're not but uh yeah i get we'll do another podcast in 10 years and we'll see how it worked out that's awesome well you know i think you guys are thinking through things that that it really you know i don't do this this is not judgmental in any way but when i look at a lot of even my kids are young and Stu's kids are young and i look at how some of the parents are accommodating these young children with buying, you know, buying the, the nicest things and, and just the lifestyles that the parents are, are emulating for the children. And you're like, man, your kids are going to potentially grow up to be very dependent children on, on either you or, or some person, or, yeah. or they're going to see debt in an unhealthy way, or they're going to, you know, and it, it's, you can see how this, how our society is, has propagated this, this ideal, this American dream, yeah. And, uh, and it's sad. It, it breaks my heart because it's the kid doesn't know any better. And then this financial illiteracy that then goes generation to generation gets worse and worse. It, uh, it's very real. It's really sad. We were at a friend's house and this baby is sitting there in the corner with like a, with a baby gap thing on. And the baby was making a load in its diaper. I'm like, the, <laughs> the baby doesn't care about baby gap. You're you're doing that to signal to your friends that you have money or to make them think you have money. And yeah, where else was I going to go with that? Uh, Yeah. I think there's a lot of value at uh, making people work for money and uh, having your kids figure out their true authentic self. Like what are the most popular, or I think one of the, the best things you could, one of the best attributes you can have is to not care about what other people think of you. Once you can get over that, you're a much better, stronger, more authentic person. And people, the paradox of it is once you stop caring, people actually respect you more for that because they see you as a leader and not a follower doing all these things that are expected of us because we saw the new vehicle on the commercial or whatever. Yeah, it's weird. Society is uh, society's funny. I'm a, I'm a full-on capitalist investing in everything, but uh, some of the bad effects of it and some of the way we're manipulated by commercials and advertisements. Advertisements are certainly toxic. Yeah. So do, do you, um, are you trying to get your, your kids involved in kind of the investing side of the house too? You know, are, are you teaching them about, you know, what you're investing in and, and uh, kind of helping them get started or is that a little too soon? Yeah. What, what we do is they have to do work around the house. We give them an allowance and then I give them 1% interest a month to try to teach them how compound interest works. Nice. So I wish I could get that on my bank account, but yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah I know. Like I'd be a, I'd be awesome. a year in your bank account. would be great. Yeah. So I show them, Hey, and it's kind of funny because the older one is the saver. So every month I bring them down to the basement and say, okay, I'm going to add the 1% now. And the older one will have like 800 bucks in. So, so she gets $80 or whatever. And the other one's got like $30. So she gets $3 and the younger one gets all mad. Like, why does, why does she get more money than me? Well, it's because she saved money. If you save more money, you would get more, I don't want to say free money, but your money would grow faster too. So, yeah. But, hey, so one question, I, I have some money that I want to give to you at your 1% terms. Um, <laughs> and that would be really, you know, really great because your 1% sound like 10% there, but I'm just, I'm just busting your chops. Yeah, um, that, that, uh, that ends at $10. So that, yeah, okay. $10. I got you. <laughs> 
No, that's, that's awesome. And I, and I just, you know, to encourage you, I think that that is, uh, you know, it's, it's setting up a condition because, and, and again, you're very transparent with your finances on your website. I mean, you could afford to buy your kids pretty much whatever they desired and you could probably afford to buy a car when they are of age to have a car. But I, but I love the fact that, um, you know, I was having this conversation with my, my 10 year old the other day, I, I Googled how many, what's the percentage of Americans that have over $1,000 in their bank account. And, um, and, and I did that. And then I was showing her an account that we put money into to save on their behalf. And we're just talking through different transactions and we made her buy, uh, she wanted a new tablet. So we're like, cool. I'll, I'll give you a hundred dollars. No, I won't give you a hundred dollars. I will turn in my old cell phone because I want to get rid of all these cell phones that we're not using. It was worth a hundred dollars. I'll, I'll, I'll contribute that. You have to pay the rest of the money. You pick your model and you can do it. And she did it. It was a lot of money. It was like 180 bucks that she paid out of her pocket yeah. and she's 10 years old, but, but we did all the analysis. Right. And in this, and I really was trying to emphasize, I think the website said 67% of Americans do not have a thousand dollars in the account. Oh, is that, that amazing? And, and I didn't know that. I just on a whim Googled it. And, uh, but I really like, it's sad, right? Yeah. It's, it's sad because if life hits you and it hits you hard, uh, but that doesn't, it doesn't account for how much they potentially are have in debt and credit cards. And, and so these kids are bombarded all day long with this, with this stuff that you're talking about, the advertisements and the commercials and the friends and the, the baby gap. And it's a hard job being a parent to really emphasize, hey, it doesn't matter what these people think. You can, you can look at your account and you may not have the nicest whatever, but, but you have options. This account equals options. And trying to get that through their heads is, is tough. Yeah. How do you teach people to live gratification and to think long-term? Because that's what all this is about, right? Here, you can either have this now, or you could have this a thousand X and 20 years from now. It's uh, we're not, uh, I don't think we're programmed to think like that. So it's something that has to be taught. And I don't know, <laughs> I've had very, I've had very little success in trying to uh, try to teach people this or show even my family, these values. Like uh, sometimes you have to go through a hardship, I think, to really appreciate it. But yeah, if you figure it out, please, please let me know. I will give you 1% interest on your bank account. If you can design a course that teaches people how to do this, uh, I'll say a 33% success rate too is all you need to do. Cause uh, yeah, it's difficult. How do you teach people to prepare for that rainy day? It's a thousand dollars. I mean, that's crazy. That, that would be your hot water heater, which is a cheap appliance. If that died, that would all be gone. And not to mention a roof or like a furnace or something like that. It's crazy. And I don't know, I didn't dig into the stats. Uh, so, you know, if someone's out there that actually studies this stuff and digs into it, you know, uh, full disclosure, it was just a, it was just anecdotal to give my daughter, 10 year old daughter a conversation, but I, I don't think it's far off. Yeah. I, 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 I would agree. Realistic. Yeah. Yep. I'm curious as we're kind of having this financial discussion, like what, what are your opinions on debt just in general? Are you, are you lean towards kind of more the, the, the Dave Ramsey, like, get out of debt, pay off everything, use cash, or are you kind of more of the Robert Kiyosaki where debt is awesome or are you kind of somewhere in the middle? Um, yeah, I think debt is awesome, but you got to be very careful and know what you're doing. For example, uh, we paid cash for this current house that I'm sitting in right now, but when, and I don't recommend trying to time the market, but we thought when COVID happened, it, we had already planned to do a cash out refine our house. So we actually got a mortgage and invest the rest. I have no problem taking out debt at 3% because that over the long term, the stock market is probably going to do much better. So other than that, though, I would never finance a car unless it was 0%. Uh, we do use credit cards, which I don't think Dave Ramsey likes. Uh, however, yeah. we pay them off every month. I usually I'm pretty crazy about that. I usually log on once a week and just get my balance back to zero because I don't like that kind of debt. The main reason we do those are is for the credit card points, the uh, like free hotels and travel right. and that type of thing. So yeah, I'm okay with debt, but in a very confined space, I don't over leverage myself, but we do have a mortgage on the house. That is the only debt we have though. Yeah. But, and I, and I think to be clear though, what's, what's, what you just said that stuck with me is you, you, you have debt on the house because you chose to have debt on the house. You bought the house with cash. You then refinanced out because of the 3% and you took that money and invested it. And you know 
and I'm, I'm drawing some conclusions here, but I'm assuming you took that money out, put it in the market or whatever, because the yield is going to get you greater than 3% and you, you effectively are, are using arbitrage and different, different uh, um, investment principles to your debt, your debt is making you a spread. It's making you money. Yeah. If you can't control yourself, if you're going to refi your house and, and go buy a new car, even though your old ones are fine or, or do things like that, I would not recommend doing this, but we took every cent we got out of this house and put it right into the markets. And I've got a spreadsheet that I look at almost daily to show how that experiment is done. So yeah, uh, that's okay. If you, if used wisely, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's super powerful and that, that, you were not able to do that necessarily, you know, back when you started this journey in 2013, but, but you have, you've built up to that point, right? Yeah. I, I also like having cash on hand. If we, I don't think we'll be doing many more deals in life, but if one does come up now, I've got the resources to fund it. So that's another reason I'm okay with having a small mortgage. Yeah. One, awesome. one thing I know in your blog, you kind of talk about too, you're kind of a mix between real estate and is it primarily index funds that you're that you're putting stuff into yeah we own a lot of i didn't know what an index fund was until like 2013 so i was uh i have lots of individual stocks which are probably the biggest part of my portfolio but okay now i play pretty safe almost all new money goes to index funds uh real estate we had a trailer park we just sold that a couple months ago we do have real estate now Besides the primary house, it's all in syndication deals. I think we've got seven or eight of those. One of those is with Alex Fleece, who I think you all yeah. might know. Yeah, we know for Alex. Yeah, cool. you, you, you kind of invest on the passive side as a, as a limited partner investor? Exactly. It's completely passive. We don't have to do anything at all. We get quarterly payments. And I put those, we actually have a self-directed solo 401k, which is like you can establish your own 401k. So I put all the syndication deals in those for the taxes, all those deals, the quarterly payments come back and they're all tax deferred. Nice. So. That's awesome. That's some, that's some uh, varsity level stuff right there. That's great. No, and, and you know, I, I want to uh, also, cause you downplayed it so much, but if you go to, if you go to Carl's website, I mean, he's even got a little button that you can click on that will uh, talk you through some credit card choices, right? Yeah. You, you, you have a number of resources on your website that are that are phenomenal. And, and I think you, you, you don't know the uh, ripple effect that you, you have. I think you're um, probably not giving yourself enough credit because it's going to be impossible for, for uh, anybody to accurately track, but I think you're making a huge impact you and, and Mindy just through the, the platforms you use and the, the advice you put out and just you guys are the example you're setting. I think you're impacting a lot more people than you, than you recognize or, or, or even know at this point and in your future podcast and blogs that you push out are even going to do that more so. So uh, you're awesome, man. Thank you for that. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. It's uh, always weird to hear comments like that because I started the blog mainly to amuse myself and it still is kind of that way. It is monetized, but for the first three years it made like a hundred bucks, I think. So I did it for the love of writing and to, try to inspire other people to save their money and maybe be more open with money too. Like if we all talked about money, I think we'd all be a little bit better off. Maybe we wouldn't show off as much, try to feel the need to show money we don't have by buying an expensive car. If we, if it wasn't so taboo, maybe we'd all be in a little bit better place, but eh, so be it. Well, I think, I think also that an important lesson probably to come out of what, what you're doing and what others doing is just, just the measuring, you know, the, the tracking and, and that's with anything. Like if you're going to, if you're going to want to lose weight, like you better start measuring things. If you want to like be in better health, you better start measuring things. If you want to be financially free, you better start measuring things. You better start tracking what you're, what you're spending, tracking what you're doing and having that budget and, you know, your blog of tracking your, your net worth and your wealth, like that there's some success there, right? There, there's, there's something magic about that. Yeah, that's a great thought. One of my favorite quotes is uh, the physicist Richard Feynman. And he said, the number one rule in life is not to be fooled. And the easiest person to fool is yourself. So it's pretty easy to, uh, to deceive yourself. And I keep track of everything. I do pull-ups and I've got a spreadsheet that shows exactly how many I've done and all that. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that's you awesome. got to hold yourself accountable because uh, if you didn't track it, you might deceive yourself. Or... Yeah, that's good. No, that's awesome. 
Well, how do, how do, uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want to, you know, learn more, um, tell us about you know, the website or, or what's the best way to, for people to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, my blog is 1500days.com. Just the number one, five, zero, zero days. That's how many days I thought it would take to retire after I discovered the financial independence movement. We also have a podcast coming out. It's called the mile high Phi club. Cause we are here at mile high altitude. So just mile high We just released our first episode so nice yeah that'll we'll I'll put that uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people yeah, can check I, it out i appreciate that yeah well david you got anything else uh, smart to say what do you think no man no i usually <laughs> don't have anything smart <laughs> that's to true say. um but if you have anything dumb uh, to say that's cool too <laughs> yeah that's typically yeah, i've got that covered um and i've got a spreadsheet guy in our business so i i, I have outsourced that uh you know yeah. quite effectively because that's not me this guy <laughs> Um, no, just again, thank you, Carl. I think, uh, you know, the more we can expose people like you and, and, and push your, uh, just your thoughts and ideas out. And I love the idea of transparency. Stu and I are extremely transparent about money. I'll talk to anybody on the street about the money I have or don't have. And, and, uh, and happily, I just got rid of a 2001 forerunner, um, because the window stopped working in, in my line of work. Like I have to show my badge every day and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. There's a limit where I'm going to go and I'm, I've hit it. But, uh, but then I traded that in for my wife's paid off, uh, you know, multi-year-old car. So I think, I think the, that idea, um, the idea of being able to talk about it, because I think there's a, there's a lot of people who would take their, their financial situation and their really, really nice brand new car and uh, trade with the $4 million of investment that you have. Again, your numbers that you put on your website, not trying to share your business, it's out there, but, but you're open with it, right? You're open yeah. with that. And I think that that's, it was beautiful. Like when I saw it, even though we're so open, I was surprised, but I was like, man, that is freaking awesome. Like that is exactly what, you know, uh, what it being transparent, open, and also living, you know, pr- practicing as you preach. And, and so keep it up. It's awesome. Hopefully a lot of our listeners will go check out your website, listen to your podcast. Uh, and if they want to reach out to you, how, how would they do that? Yeah, they could just hit me up on the blog. I got 1500days.com. There's, there's a contact form on there and uh, I'll talk you out of your new car purchase. If you need some counseling, uh, <laughs> uh, would you rather look rich or would you rather be rich? Love it. Uh, I think it's pretty easy, but I'll talk you out of the new car. That's awesome, man. That's great. That's well, Carl, great. I appreciate your time, man. This has been a lot of fun um, and I uh, can't wait to come up and grab a, a non-expensive beer with you at your co-working space. We'll go swing some hammers and, and build some tiny homes. How about it? Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you, David. And yeah, really ping me when you're up here. Uh, you right. could even stay over here if you're coming up for the night or whatever. So plenty cool, of man. space. Awesome. Well, well uh, if you don't, if you don't have fleas in your house right now, you will after us. Oh, Stuart, come on, Stuart. man. Come on. I don't even have a dog. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, that's true. You don't even have a dog. Oh, that's why it's so shocking. You have fleas. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Invitation revoked. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, everybody go listen to this podcast, go share it. Um, go uh, subscribe to uh, Carl's blog and his new podcast. Um, and, uh, and most importantly, uh, go fill your storehouse. Make it a great day, friends. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening to Filling the Storehouse. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and share it with someone you love. And if you really felt inspired, leave a five-star review so we can continue to grow and help other Christian entrepreneurs fill their storehouse. If you're interested in creating financial freedom through real estate investing, be sure to check out our website at storehouse310turnkey.com. We'd love to serve you through our platform of building the kingdom. Just click on the contact link and we'll reply to you as soon as we can. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go for your storehouse and make it a great day.